Thank you. Please uh, be seated. I wonder if you can uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll read that passage uh, together in a moment. Uh, Well, if uh, you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we're in this series which we've dubbed uh, Rules to Live By, uh, looking at the series uh, on the Ten Commandments. And this morning, uh, as uh, Ruth mentioned to us, we're actually going to be looking at You Shall Not Commit uh, Adultery. Um, I think it's very clear, isn't it, that we know how destructive adultery uh, is. Um, And yet, some statistics that came out from the States I found quite alarming, that uh, it says that uh, 7 out of 10 men, uh, when surveyed, uh, agreed uh, uh, that they'd had or admitted that they'd had uh, an extramarital affair, uh, and uh, just over 5 women out of 10 uh, said the same thing, and uh, those numbers are, are, are growing uh, all of the, the time. I, I don't know what the statistics are for the UK, and I don't know what it is in terms of the Christian uh, family. Uh, but one of the things that I am, I am very aware that uh, whenever you cover a subject like this, um, this is like a bombshell going off for some of you who are going to be sat here this morning. I, I know that. Uh, because some of you have had your hearts ripped out because you've been on the receiving end of somebody else's un- unfaithfulness. And so uh, my prayer has been very much uh, for, for, for you. Uh, I may not know if this has happened to you, but, uh, but you will certainly uh, know. And so I think the, the question that I wanted to ask ourselves this morning is, how can we affair-proof um, our, our marriages? Um, because if it is so destructive and, and if it is so prevalent... One of the things that I'm very, very aware, acutely aware of um, as a pastor, uh, but also I try and be as transparent and honest as I can be as, uh, as uh, one of your spiritual leaders here, uh, is that all, all of us, this is a message that's it's relevant for us. Uh, I'm not immune from this. I was sharing um, at the leadership team uh, meeting just this past week uh, about pastors that I know who in the last two years have uh, had to leave ministry uh, because of this very sin. Uh, and so, you know, it's not, uh, it's not something that pastors were immune to at all. All of us here, if we've got blood running through our veins, uh, this is something that is applicable for us and relevant uh, for us. And um, what I wanted us to do, as we look at this seventh commandment uh, of uh, you shall not commit adultery, is have a look at this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verses 2 to 8. Um, follow along in the Bible, but it will also come up on the screen. Um, Uh, Paul says, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, uh, that is holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control their own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or sister or take advantage of them. The Lord will punish people for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject us, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. 
So what I want us to do, I want us to use these few verses um, as the launch pad into what we're going to uh, look at today about how we uh, protect our marriages and how we can keep them uh, pure. First point I'm going to make, and it's quite obvious, um, and it'll come up here now, is that we need to avoid sexual uh, immorality. In others, we need to be proactive and we need to have uh, a plan. And we see it in verse 3. In verse 3 it says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now I don't know about you, but the person that comes to mind uh, whenever I think about this in scripture is Joseph. Uh, A remarkable man, uh, tested in all kinds of ways, betrayed by his brothers, betrayed when he was in prison as well, and betrayed by this woman uh, who wanted to have sex uh, with him. And... uh, It's found in Genesis 39, and verses 6 to 10. Again, it'll be on the screen. And uh, if you remember, he's been uh, sold as a slave by his brothers because they hated him. Uh, He he was unwise. His father was unwise. uh, But that doesn't make their actions right. Uh, So he he ends up in the slave market. He's bought by this guy called Potiphar, uh, who's a senior leader uh, down in Egypt. And Potiphar left in Joseph's care everything He had, with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, uh, which means that he was like flipping Nora. Um, He's the sort sort of person that you want your daughter to meet. Do you know what I mean? He's that kind of godly man, but really butch and lovely as well. Uh, And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, uh, in a not-so-subtle way, uh, come to bed with me. But he refused. Now, he refused. Now, remember, he was a slave. They were the master. You know, back back then, it was very common for the master just to have sex with whoever they wanted to have. Um, But he refused. And and I think it says so, so much about this guy. Uh, And then he goes on to say, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, He refused to go to bed with her or, and this is the point I really want you to pick up on, or even to be uh, with her. Uh, I I do thank God for examples like uh, Joseph, um, a man who wanted to maintain his integrity, to maintain purity in in an impure uh, world. This thought about avoiding, now you can't avoid the opposite sex, so we work with them all the time. But what we, what we can do is we can try and make sure that we don't put ourselves into compromising situations. Uh, and so um, tra- traveling alone in the car with uh, another uh, woman, uh, with a woman, um, uh, going out for, for lunch uh, outside of work, uh, sorry, you know, at lunchtime while you're in work with a person, or going out for dinner. Um, Having private little text messages going on, the whole social media thing. You know what I'm talking about. But, but the problem is, is that unless we're proactive about this, and we actually have a plan, 
uh, these things can easily creep in. And I've shared with you to the point of being boring about the boundaries that Sue and I have set in to our marriage 36 years ago. And we review them constantly. Uh, and we, uh, we make adjustments and we just try and say, how are we doing in, in that area? How are you doing in that area? Well, I'm, I'm, we're doing okay. Uh, and uh, our kids would laugh at us sometimes about how strict these boundaries are. But pray to God, I've managed to stay faithful to my wife. And my wife has been, managed to stay faithful to me. Actually having a plan about staying faithful is really, really uh, important. The Living Translation... Um, actually uses the phrase, stay clear of the person. Especially if you feel that there is an attraction. Now, we're all naturally attracted to certain people. But when you sense an attraction there, that's when you've really got to hit the brakes. And that's when actually perhaps the boundary lines actually need to be reset for that particular uh, individual. You have to be so careful about who you allow behind the ribcage. You just do. One of the things that um, I've discovered as I've been preparing for today is that uh, in, in our country, um, uh, the person who is more likely to have an affair um, uh, is now the, the woman. Uh, and uh, one of the things that uh, I found uh, a little disturbing uh, as, as I was reading uh, these statistics um, is that uh, one, of the, one of the reasons why women cite for this is that their husbands are no longer taking notice of them, that their husbands are taking them for granted, their husbands no longer comment on how beautiful they look or how great they look in that dress or how small their bum looks in that. <laughs> but the guy in work does. Oh, you look lovely today. Oh, what's that perfume going on? Oh, I just, I just find that nice. And, you know, it's the subtle little things, but it, it, it cuts both ways. So, so it's, it's the neglect. Uh, it's fascinating, isn't it? We've actually got this sermon this week on the week when it's Valentine's. I, I don't know what you're doing exciting for, for your spouse uh, this week. And as I look around the blokes, I can see, I, I can actually see um, a gazing of, oh, my goodness, it's not Valentine's, is it? That sort of thing. <laughs> And I can see the women going, well, I hope it's as exciting as last year, because nothing happened last year. And that's my point, I guess. It's, it's actually about creating excitement uh, into, and honestly, I've not been sponsored by women on this, guys, honestly. Uh, I've not been promised a year's supply of dairy milk or something. But I believe with all of my heart that it's incumbent on us, even as perhaps men who are not very romantic, to be romantic. That we actually have to work on that. Now, some of you are, are great at it, okay? Um, but some of us aren't. And so we've got to plan it. Uh, and actually having stuff in our diary to actually think of being proactive in terms of what am I actually going to do to affirm my wife uh, is such an important thing. What can I, what can I do um, in terms of this relationship that's actually going to make them feel special? Right? Just really important. And as guys, often we, uh, we get that wrong. You know, because I actually think that if our wives feel so totally loved and so affirmed at home, those comments from the guy in the office aren't actually going to make, they're not going to cut the mustard. Because actually they're not listening for that. Because actually they're getting what they need at home. 
This is a big deal. And it's something, you know, especially when you've been married for as long as we have, you've just got to really keep working at it. Because you can just, you can get to that point where you, you just look up and say, I'm, I know you from somewhere. Especially after the kids have grown up. Do you, do you know what I mean? There's a huge spike in divorce when the kids have left home. Why? Because you've not been investing. People have not been investing in their own romance, their own relationship. It's all been around the kids. Now, I get kids. We've had three kids, okay? And kids are important, okay? But they're not all important. The best thing that you can actually give your kids is an incredible love for your spouse. Really important. And so, trying to have times when you get away without your kids, really important. Oh, that's not very nice. Yes, it is. Because actually your kids need to have parents who are strong in their relationship uh, together. I, I've quoted this before. I'm, I've, uh, I've got the quote now from the New, New Living Translation. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And I'll say this again. Be very careful who you allow behind that ribcage. It's so, it's so easy, uh, if you're attracted to somebody, to just want to spend a little bit more time with them. Because they understand you, they appreciate you, uh, they get you uh, when your wife or your husband doesn't. And before you know it, it's a bit like trying to stop a toboggan going down the slope. You just can't. It just keeps picking up speed. Have appropriate boundaries. Talk them through with your spouse uh, and uh, stick uh, to them. Uh, next point is know your weaknesses. Um, verse 4. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and uh, honorable. Know your weaknesses. Um, a, a weakness for me is if, if I have too much to drink. Now, I know I'm a pastor and I don't drink, but I, I love a beer. Uh, and, but I have to try and make sure that I, I stop after a couple of beers because after a third beer or a fourth beer, um, my inhibitions, they, they just go. And it's the, same, it's the same for each of us. I, I thank God that some of you have asked me to keep you accountable in terms of how much wine you're consuming. Other, others of you have asked me to keep you accountable in terms of what you're watching uh, on, your, uh, on your computer or on your phone or on your tablet. No your weakness because I tell you for certain the enemy knows it uh, one of the the great Christmas films of course is Zulu uh, and um, it always makes me feel Christmassy Zulu and actually that was that that was uh, something that the Welsh actually won um, anyway that's a that's another one um, and I don't know if you remember in that film um, because it's been on once or twice um, but in that film, uh, there's the, the, the initial charge uh, from, uh, from, from these Africans. And, uh, and, and, and so many of these Africans die. Uh, and they've been, sh they've been shot, you know, uh, by the, the Welsh soldiers. And, um, and, and, of course, there's a bit of a cheer as they, as they, as they run away. Uh, and I think it was an Afrikaans officer who said to them, oh, no, don't, don't start cheering. <laughs> They're going to come again. All they're doing at the moment is they're, they're counting your guns. And they're looking for the areas that you're weak. And that's what the enemy does. He's looking for areas of weakness in you so he can get in. And so we need to be aware of this. Um, 
know your weakness. If, if, you're, if, 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 if your weakness is alcohol, um, then get somebody to keep you accountable with that. Um, if it is what you're watching on the, on the internet, it was interesting. Uh, we went to a men's conference, and uh, one, of the, um, one of the seminars was on pornography. And, uh, and I remember talking to a bunch of guys who went afterwards, and I said, uh, look, guys, is this, is this a problem for, for any, of us, any of us here? And, and what is amazing is that at Lisbane Baptist Church, pornography is not an issue for any man in our church, which is quite remarkable. Um, because that's not statistically the case for any other church in the country, okay? What I found fascinating about that was three or four weeks later, uh, one of the wives came to me and said, Dave, can you please have a word of my husband? Because when I go to bed, I sometimes slip down sometimes, and I find him there, and he's just ogling these other women. Know your weakness. Admit it. Deal with it. Because if, it, if, if you don't, it's going to get you. I've mentioned a guy called Billy Strachan in the past. Billy Strachan was this amazing communicator, principal of uh, Cape and Ray uh, Bible School. And uh, his problem was pornography. And because he was uh, a speaker um, and he would go all around the world, he'd end up in hotels invariably. And uh, they'd have the television there. And in, in hotels, uh, they have all kinds of porn channels. And so what he used to do... He used to, uh, first of all, when he got into the room, he used to take the plug out. He used to push the television to the side of the room. And then he used to get his crochet hook out and crochet. Uh, and uh, and I, as, a, as a guy, I always find that a bit amusing. And I said to him, that's a bit, that's a bit amusing. And he, he said this at the conference. And there was one particular minister who thought that this was a really strange idea until that minister a year or two later, uh, committed adultery. And he wrote to Billy Strack and he said, I, I wish I'd learned how to crochet. Know your weaknesses. Uh, have a look at these verses. Uh, I've quoted them a couple of times recently. Uh, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden. Or under a bowl, instead he puts it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. Uh, do an audit on what you're taking in. Do an audit on what you're taking in. Um, we're all going to notice um, beautiful women, uh, handsome men. Um, but it's when we stop and stare. <laughs> and it's when our mouths drop open and our tongues come out. Um, and uh, we don't do that outwardly, but we do it inwardly. It's just be careful. Who was it who said that you can't stop a bird flying overhead, but you can stop it making a nest in your hair? Next one is keep the main thing, uh, the main thing. Have a look at verse 7 uh, with me uh, for this. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 
Therefore, he rejects this instruction. So, sorry, therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing for us is to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and strength. And if we look at verse 9... I find it fascinating about the way that Joseph responds to Potiphar's wife. Uh, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? It's not what he said, is it? How could I sin against God? Because the main thing for Joseph was to be righteous and holy and to be a faithful follower of the God that he loved. I don't know if you're going to agree with this uh, next uh, line. Um, but clearly I do, because I've written it. Uh, before a person walks out from their spouse, they've walked away from their Lord. The closer I am to Jesus, the better husband I am to Sue the better father I am to Emma, Jonathan, and James. The better pastor I am. The more of Jesus we've got in our lives, the better the people we are. <laughs> Best way that you can protect your heart and protect your marriage is by staying close to God or getting closer and closer uh, to God. Have a look at this quote from Neil Anderson. A uh, great book um, he, he wrote called Discipleship Counseling. And in this book, he, he says this, people do not have a sexual problem. Uh, or a chemical problem, they have a life problem. You will not be successful just trying to eliminate bad behavior. If abstinence were the goal, then Ephesians 5.18 would read, do not get drunk with wine, therefore stop drinking. What it says is that we must be filled with God's Spirit. So that's key. This is not about you gritting your teeth, I'm going to be more faithful, I'm going to be more faithful. It's about getting on our knees and say, Jesus, fill me more with your spirit. And as you fill with more spirit, because he's holy, we will become holier people. We will become more faithful people. He will give us the strength to love our spouse if our spouse is a difficult person to love. Uh, next point I want to make very quickly is remember the cost. Uh, whenever I think of the subject of adultery, two figures come to mind. One we've been talking about, and that's Joseph. The other one is David. Uh, and when you consider what that night of passion cost this man, uh, what a lesson uh, for all of us. Uh, can I rephrase that? Not what he cost that man, but what it cost a whole bunch of different people. Because our sin is, is a bit like a stone that hits, hits the pond and the ripples go out and affects so many different people. If we look back in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3, it says this, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. We've been looking at that, about avoiding, learning control, having a plan, having boundaries, knowing your weaknesses. But in verse 6 then, it starts to talk about consequences. Okay? And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. Now, there is forgiveness, praise God, but there's also responsibility. 
And there are consequences for our sins. Uh, as we have already told you and warned you. Uh, someone has said that sin is a bit like a personal loan. Uh, you enjoy the benefit now, but you pay for it for years. David paid big time. Bathsheba paid. And heaven knows that her husband Uriah paid. This is what happens with sin. It, 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 it just grows. The bottom line is that nobody wins with sexual sin. Thomas Fuller wrote this. Lord, before I commit the sin, it seems to me so shallow that I may wade through it dry shod from any guiltiness. But when I've committed it, it often seems so deep that I cannot escape without drowning. Without drowning. Anybody relate to that? Another quote, not as eloquent, but still powerful, is from J. John. There is always free cheese in a mousetrap. It's, it's a great quote, isn't it? And I tell you what, some of this free, free cheese looks really good, doesn't it? I want to finish, though with another passage that speaks about adultery. And uh, it's going to come up overhead, but if you want to follow it in your Bibles, it's in John chapter 8. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put, her, they put her in the front of the crowd. Sorry, in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I don't know about you, I, I find these verses remarkably comforting. Because we all mess up. We're all human. Some of you here may have messed up in terms of adultery. For others, we might have messed up in other ways. What I find quite remarkable in these verses is that Jesus says to us, there's hope. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through his life and through his death and resurrection. 
This passage always also reminds us that there's no place for us to get holier than thou and to look at somebody else's fall and judge them. Now, of course, I get the whole thing about responsibility in terms of church membership. Um, when we become church members, we say that we're going to live a certain lifestyle. And if we, if, we, if we go outside of that lifestyle, there are consequences. It's called church discipline. I get that. The discipline is in God's word. One of my favorite Christian authors, uh, Christian men, is a guy called Gordon MacDonald. Sue and I had the great privilege of sitting at his feet for two days as he taught us, and it was wonderful hearing this great teacher. But one of the things he taught us, and uh, we were in rooms smaller than this, there's less people, uh, it was very intimate. And he talked about the time that he committed adultery. He talked about the way that he betrayed his marriage, and he betrayed his wife and he betrayed his children and he said that every day when he gets up he feels the pain of the stupid stupid decision that he made but he's back in ministry now he was out of ministry for three or four years because if if something like that happened to me I would be immediately dismissed rightly so um, but there's a place for restoration. After there's been a, a period of contrition and of repentance. And as soon as I listen to this man, and I can genuinely say I love this man, I believe he's taught me so much, but he taught me so much in those moments of incredible weakness. And he stared into the eyes of those of us who were married there. And he said, Do not ever put yourself or the ones that you love through something like this. There's so much power in those words. But equally the power of a new start, a new beginning. We can't erase the past. We can't do that. We live with the consequences of it. If we betrayed somebody, it would take years for the trust to be returned. We, we get that. But, but we live in an economy of grace. Where God says to us, there is hope, there is another chance, and another chance, and another chance. Now, whether or not your partner would give you that other chance, I don't know. So let's um, summarize the main points. Uh, this is an issue uh, for all of us. Uh, we need to have a plan. If you haven't got a plan, can I encourage you, please, to go home with your spouse and talk about a plan. Have clearly agreed boundaries. Know your weaknesses. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep investing in Jesus. Remember the cost. And lastly, there is always hope.